Welcome to the HDFS Careers Podcast, the podcast featuring informal conversations with family science majors about their professional journeys. My name is Erica Jordan. I am so excited to kick off the spring 2021 season, and thanks for listening. Today, I will be sharing my interview with Caroline Jones. I met Caroline through my former colleague, Dr. Sherwood Burns-Nader. Sherwood and I both attended the graduate school at the University of Alabama, and she is now a faculty member there. She was kind enough to connect me with Caroline. Caroline is a certified child life specialist, too, at Le Bonheur Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. She earned a bachelor's degree in human development and family studies from the University of Alabama with a double concentration in child life and early childhood education. She earned a master's degree in human development and family studies with a concentration in parent family life education, also from the University of Alabama. In this episode, she discusses how she found the field of HDFS and her professional experiences to date. As is true for all interviewees on this podcast, Caroline's views are her own as a private citizen and do not reflect the views of her current, former, or future employers. Without further ado, here is her interview. Well, welcome to the podcast, Caroline. Well, thank you so much for having me, Erica. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join. I am so excited about this episode because you are working in the field of child life, and we know that that is a super duper popular um, field for people who are majoring in um, human development, family studies, and other related majors. It's always something that students are interested in, so you are like a celebrity already, and thank you for being here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I always love talking about child life. <laughs> awesome. Can you just start off? Um, I know that you um, went to the University of Alabama for college. Can you start off telling me a little bit about how you found the field, uh, the major of human development and family studies? Yeah, so I actually found out about child life when I was in high school. I was a choir kid growing up through and through with my church. We used to travel all around the United States, um, sing at different churches, different venues. One place that we got to sing was in Texas in San Antonio, one of the children's hospitals there. And it was actually a child life specialist that was able to set up our visit and just as child life specialists always do, if you're not familiar with the field, they always like to talk about what we do. Um, And so she kind of sat us down before we did our little performance and she told us about child life, what she does in the hospital. Um, And I was able to do a lot of research there. And I just, I wanted to be a teacher. My mom was a teacher. Um, I thought, you know, my dream would be to would be to be a teacher growing up. And then I learned about child life. And ever since about 10th grade, I knew I wanted to be a child life specialist. Wow, that just really goes to show you, yeah, you keep your eyes and ears open. I mean, you are, here you are doing choir and you stumble on <laughs> something that you end up being passionate about, passionate about for a career. That is so neat. Yeah. So how did you go about doing more research on your own after you initially heard about it? So I went home and I just Googled child life specialist. I learned yeah. that they are, it's not a new field, but it was a growing field. I learned about child life being predominantly in children's hospitals um, and when I started to look at colleges, obviously child life is not everywhere. It's not in every college. So I wanted to try and find a university that did have the program, um, which led me to the University of Alabama. And I learned about their, their, their great program there. Um, but yeah, I just did a lot of research, a lot of Googling. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's great. Um, but you like kind of took the initiative to learn more. Um, are you originally from Alabama? 
I'm not. I'm actually originally from a really small town in Georgia, about two hours south of Atlanta. Okay. Okay. And so, yeah, you, uh, that's great that you were able to hear about it in high school and be really intentional about the colleges that you selected. Yeah. 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 So what was your experience like going through the major? Um, Just kind of anything you want to share about your experiences in the class classes or kind of things that you did even outside of class that you feel were really impactful for you? I think at the University of Alabama, the child life program there and the professor Sherwood that is mainly over the child life students does a really good job of preparing students for what they have to do to become a child life specialist. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the same at every university. So I think the biggest thing that was kind of a learning curve for me was just how much pre requisites that you had to have before you could even do an internship. Um, You had to have a lot of hours with well children. You had to have a lot of hours with hospitalized children. So practicum and voluntary experiences. So I spent a lot of my time outside of the classroom, you know, doing volunteer experiences, um, volunteering at our children's program at the university, having to do practicum experiences in Huntsville, Alabama one summer. Um, I think our the university specifically really helped prepare me ahead of time and um, in learning what all we had to do to become a child life specialist. Because, I mean, you have to do multiple hours with well children, multiple hours with hospitalized children. You have to um, have specific child life courses related to the field. Um, but yeah, do you have any other specific question regarding my education? No, no, that's really interesting. Um, I guess, so did you have to report the hours to um, some specific credentialing body? Um, so you just had, verif- you had to have verification of your hours, okay. um, which for us was just a paper to have whoever you volunteered with um, just filled out this form. Um, that was okay for the Association of Child Life Professionals. Oh, wow. And so which one of... Um, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what those particular experiences were like? For instance, like the one in Huntsville, what were you doing up there? So with practicum experiences, that is experiences shadowing a certified child life specialist. Okay. We are predominantly in children's hospitals. There are practicum experiences with uh, specialists in other areas, but I got to shadow child life specialist in the hospital in Huntsville, Alabama one summer. Um, I got to shadow a specialist that's in the emergency department. I got to shadow a specialist that was in the inpatient unit um, and in our surgery unit up there. Though practicum experiences are just for people to be able to see what a child life specialist does day to day in the hospital. Um, because obviously as students, you read a lot about child life, you think you have an idea and, but it's really super helpful to have those hours to shadow a child life specialist, to know what they do today, day to day, and just have what you read in the book played out in real life. Yes. Yeah. And so what, out of those experiences that you did during that stage of life, which one, I, I guess kind of, um, do you have any story or any particular experience that was most eye-opening for you where you feel like, oh, now I really have a real sense of what this is about? I think just shadowing one of the specialists in the emergency department, because, you know, I, 
growing up, I was always the queasy kid. I didn't like blood. So part of me thinks, oh, what am I going to do if I'm going to be a child life specialist? I'm going to be around all of this stuff. I hope I can like, I can handle it. Um, so just being in the emergency department, it was a smaller emergency department, but you still got to see kids that were getting stitches and kids that were getting IVs and blood work. Um, and I, it might just sound silly and kind of frivolous, but you read all of this stuff and you won't know what you can or can't handle until you actually get out into the field. Um, and you actually get to shadow a specialist. So I think that alone was eye-opening to be like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. And it's a good thing it was eye-opening in the right direction, right? Like, <laughs> even though I'm a queasy kid, you know, I can take this. I can handle it. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so now did you primarily uh, do classes and, you know, kind of the, the practicums and volunteers uh, experiences, or did you also have to work while you were in college? What was your college experience like otherwise? Um, I was lucky enough to not have to work while I was in college. Um, I know our whole field in general has talked about how because there is so much that is required of these students, you make your whole life child life. Um, You have to get so many hours that are related related to your classes and unrelated to your classes. You have to do volunteer work. You have to do practicum um, that is required to get an internship. And I was lucky enough to not have to work. I can only imagine how stressful it is for those that do have to work while also getting these hours. Um, But I did not have to experience that type of figuring out my schedule. I was lucky enough to not have to work. And you actually, maybe because you had a little bit of um, the flexibility not having to work, you actually chose to do a double concentration. So you had a concentration within your major in child life and then a concentration within early childhood education. Can you tell me a little bit about that decision? Yeah, so I think with everybody that kind of majors in human development and family studies, I think we all kind of sit down with ourselves at some point and say, you know, what can I do in this field? Because I always explain, I used to always explain to people, it's not as clear cut as nursing or accounting where you know exactly what you're doing when you graduate. Right. I think it's so nice that we have the flexibility and try and figuring things out as we go. The planner in me would like to have more of an understanding like as a student I was like I need to know exactly what I can do when I get out yeah um, so it's kind of a pro and a con sometimes because you don't always know it's like the world is open for you but at the same time you have to kind of figure out what you can do um, for the University of Alabama in our Department of Human Development and Family Studies to double concentrate in early childhood education and child life a lot of the courses overlapped and were similar there were only maybe two additional courses in an internship um, that I had to do to be able to also concentrate in early child education okay Um, so that was really nice and I was really excited about that just solely to you know make myself more applicable in the field uh, make myself have more opportunity later on if you know I possibly didn't want to be in the hospital environment forever um, so that's why I made that decision gotcha yeah and give yourself some flexibility and additional training and knowledge yeah yeah okay so as you're approaching graduation from your bachelor's degree um, so what are your plans after graduation? What are you thinking? And then what do you ultimately end up doing right after graduation? 
So I did my internship right after. Um, technically, I didn't graduate until August, um, but I was able to walk in May so that I could go do my internship. Um, I did my internship for Child Life and Children's Medical Center in Dallas. So I was out there for about four months um, and was able to do my internship in Child Life there. Um, after I got done with my internship and after I actually graduated, I think I have what every student probably has is maybe this nearly quarter life crisis of like, oh my gosh, I'm an adult. What do I do now? Right. Um, so I ended up, you know, thinking everything through and deciding that I wanted to go back and get my master's. Um, because I was like, you know, when am I going to be able to go back and do all of this and be back in Tuscaloosa and, um, I wanted to go ahead and get my master's because I thought if not now, then when, mm-hmm. so I ended up applying and going back to get my master's after graduation. Okay. I definitely want to hear all about that, but first <laughs> tell me a little bit about that internship search process. What was that like, um, when you went through it? So I think Alabama, Sherwood and Human Development and Family Studies, that department really does prepare you and help guide you through the process. Um, I would say for anybody that is interested in doing internships with Child Life, it is really, really important to do your research. Um, Unfortunately, internships are super competitive. So it's really important that you do your research and try and figure out um, what every hospital requires um, as far as the application process. Um, I applied to maybe 15 hospitals, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, and technically at the time, I think some people applied to a lot more than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would sit here and think 15 would be a really big number, but there are people that can apply um, to almost 30 hospitals. Um, the application process for me was stressful, uh-huh. um, <laughs> to put it to, just blanket term stressful. You have to fill out the application. You have to have um, different hospitals require different things. Some require official transcripts, um, which cost obviously additional money. Some will let you do unofficial. You have to have, um, you have to have resumes. You have to have individual uh, cover letters. You have to have verification of those volunteer experiences and practicum experiences included in the application. Um, you have to have references. Um, it's, it was extremely stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very thankful that I was able to do it. I'm very thankful that I was able to find a good uh, internship process, but you know, I sympathize with everybody that has to do it. it it's stressful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely heard of people who have to go through that process multiple times before they're able to get an internship. Yes, I I was lucky enough to not have to go through it, but one time, but I have multiple, um, I had multiple uh, fellow students that I had to do it multiple times. So I definitely, my heart goes out to them. Yeah. Did you have to travel down to Dallas in order to interview? So every hospital was different. Okay. They, a lot of hospitals are lenient on being able to do, um, I guess at the time for me, it was Skype before Zoom was a thing. We had Skype interviews and phone calls. Um, there are some hospitals that required um, other students to do in-person interviews, but every place that I had applied or gotten far enough along in the interview process didn't require me to have in-person. Okay. 
And now when you were on internship, was it like kind of a traditional kind of, I don't know, nine to five schedule and kind of what things were you doing? How was it similar or different to those shadowing experiences? So internships are about three to four months. Um, you do two six-week rotations. Every hospital is different, but they wanted us to do at Children's Medical Center in Dallas. Uh, they wanted us to do both an inpatient rotation and an outpatient rotation. Um, I think one of the hardest things about child life internships is you're going four months unpaid and you have to travel. I mean, I went to Dallas and I didn't have any family members in Dallas. I didn't know anybody in Dallas. I had to pay for an apartment um, for four months. So I know Again, my heart goes out to everybody that has to do this. It's not an easy process, but I did an inpatient rotation for six weeks in the gastrointestinal unit inpatient. And then I did um, a six week rotation in the surgery and radiology department. Wow. Yeah. Radiology has always been fascinating to me, <laughs> just personally. Oh, and now I work in the radiology department at Labonna and I love it. So. Oh, cool. So that's neat. How long have you worked in the radiology department at Labonna now? So coming up on three years. In okay. June, it'll be three years. Okay. Well, okay. So let's go back to your um, master's. So you, you decide, hey, I'm going back. How do you decide which master's degree to pursue and what's that application process like? Um, do you only apply at Alabama or do you apply at other places? I only applied at Alabama. Um, I decided to go back and get my master's just to further my education. Um, I was drawn to Alabama's parent and family life education, um, concentration for my master's yes. because as a child life specialist, you know, we predominantly work with pediatric patients, but they always come with their families. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be able to better my understanding and be able to further help serve patients and their families while they're at the hospital. Um, and so I was able to take courses that kind of helped provide education resources um, that were predominantly geared towards like education courses out in society, not in the hospital, but I was able to um, take what I learned into the hospital setting. Yes. And I'm super biased because um, I did my master's in the human development family studies program. And I was kind of also on the parent track. Um, I also did like, I don't know, family. No, I think back then I did the child development and the family studies it was called back then. But mm -hmm. I love that program. The program's incredible. Like Mary Elizabeth Carter Smith was my major professor, but I loved all of my classes there. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great program. <laughs> okay, so about how long does it take for you to complete your master's and kind of what what is grad school like for you? Like, what do you think about the classes? I know I like them, so don't, <laughs> don't base it on me. If you hate it, feel free to say that. But, um, but like, what's your experience of grad school? What do you think about that? Um, just whatever you want to share about that experience. Yeah, I was able to do grad school full-time. Um, I was able to work as a grad assistant under Sherwood. So I was able to um, work within the department, um, but I did grad school full-time. So it took me two years. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed my classes. I think that I 
had always grown up being a student. I have very big test anxiety. I, I really stress out over writing papers. So I think grad school was a very uh, stressful time for me. Yeah. But I thoroughly enjoyed my classes because it solely wasn't just about, um, you know, child development. There were a lot of classes that were about child development, but I was able to further my learning by learning about parent education courses. We took a sexual education course that I could also bring into the hospital because at Le Bonner, you know, you, you still run into these families that don't fully understand everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't just child development or human development. I had multiple other classes that were able to further my learning that I can bring into the hospital to better myself as a specialist when I'm working with families. Um, I'm trying to think about anything specific course-wise. Was a couple so when of years you were, well, um, as an assistant, as a graduate assistant, so were you a teaching assistant or research assistant? So I was a teaching assistant. Um, okay. I didn't ever have to teach any courses myself. I helped grade some of Sherwood's undergrad courses. So I actually got to help with her teaching the child life course to undergrads. I got to help great stuff in that aspect, which was super nice because I was able to further my learning as a child life specialist by helping other future specialists learn the material. It is so interesting that being on that side of it as a teaching assistant, yeah, somehow you have to learn learn the material more deeply, you know, when you're yeah. helping to teach it to other people. And I bet you are such a, a wealth of knowledge as well, because here you'd already been on a, an internship as well. So you could bring some of those experiences in and you'd already been on practicum experience and had volunteer experiences. So, man, I bet they loved having you as a teaching assistant. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then what you said about the papers. Yeah. I think that that's a rude awakening for a lot of, uh, students, you know, undergraduate classes, especially if it's at a large institution, you spend so much time taking these multiple choice exams and maybe writing some papers. But once you get into graduate school, it's so many reflection papers and research papers. It's just a completely different experience. Which, I mean, I just get stressed in general, but it's super nice to be able to do more than just multiple choice. True. Because, you know, a lot of the tests that you took in undergrad you learn the stuff and then after your test you forget it yeah um, so it was super nice to be able to write things out and further my and deeper my thinking in that aspect where I'm fully understanding and immersed in the information that's very that's true. I really appreciate it yeah that's a good point okay so you are coming up on the end of your master's what are you doing towards the end of um, the completion of your master's program so in order to become, uh, to be able to complete my master's program, I had to do comps. So composition papers, which were, they gave you maybe two weeks to complete. Um, but instead of, you know, final test, what I had was these questions that I had to answer in essay format. Um, and so that is what I did towards the end. And had, it was either a pass or a fail. Mm. Um, thankfully I passed and then after I graduated, I decided that I, um, wanted to, because the field of child life is so competitive and I had technically been certified, but had been in grad school for two years. I actually decided to do, um, oh, what is it called? Um, 
I decided to do a six, a six months fellowship, which was able to, for a lot of programs in the hospital that offer fellowships, it is a, you get more responsibility as a specialist than being in an internship, but you still have that student aspect where they don't expect you to know everything. Um, they're allowing you to be able to ask questions, um, but still gain more responsibilities as a specialist, be able to understand the field better, um, be able to actually practice as a specialist. So I decided to do a six month fellowship. I got to go to Lubbock, Texas to the children's hospital there and I did a six month fellowship in their, in their emergency department. So after I graduated, I went to Texas for six months. Okay. And so is this like another intern? I mean, is this another application process that was similar to applying for internship? Did you apply at several places or uh, was it a little bit different process? So it was a little bit of a different process because with fellowships, they're not as commonly offered um, as common as internships. And then every fellowship that I had looked up had different due dates. So I just stumbled across the fellowship for Covenant Children's Hospital in Lubbock, Texas. Um, And I was able to apply to that one. And I was thankful enough that I got it. Um, But yeah, it was a little bit different than internships because they're not as readily available and um, as much as interns or internships are. Okay. And then it definitely gives you this additional layer of training. Um, Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, Do you want to share any, anything specific about that experience? Um, like what that was like working in the fellowship position for you personally? Yeah. So I think commonly a lot of people coming out of college have possibly this imposter syndrome when they get out into the adult working world where they're like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but everybody else knows what they're doing. I think I had a little bit of imposter syndrome. Um, so I wanted to do, a fellowship so that I could get more comfortable in my role as a specialist Mm -hmm. also make myself more applicable because I hadn't had experience for two years working as a specialist so I wanted to be able to make myself more applicable for future jobs um so I did my fellowship like I said in the emergency department there um every fellowship is a little bit different this one really allowed me to have um my own independence in a unit. So in their emergency department there, it was a previously underserved unit, child life-wise. So I was able to jump into that unit. I was able to kind of make it my own. You know, the services I provided in the emergency department were up to me to determine. No one was uh, giving me set rules that I had to follow as far as like what services I provide, which I really appreciated because it allowed me to kind of let go of that imposter syndrome allow me to practice as a specialist and kind of find that confidence that I needed to go forward. That's great. Yeah. It's nice to kind of have, um, it's not in a way you're able to, you know, increase responsibilities a bit more gradually, but still have that support. Yeah. And are the fellowships, are they paid? So mine was paid. Most of them I think are paid. I can't speak for all of them. Mine was paid through uh, grant funding for the hospital. I bet that was nice. To, to oh, that finally, was so nice. <laughs> yes. Finally be able to be paid as a um, child life specialist. I know. Okay. And um, so as your six months is concluding there, what are you thinking? I mean, how do you prepare for the next step? And what is the next step for you? 
So I moved back um, to Alabama after I got done with my internship and spent the next few months applying to jobs. You know, I applied all over. Um, Anybody that is starting to get into the field of child life has to come to terms with the fact that you have to apply all over and be willing to travel with the first few years of working as a specialist. Um, I applied anywhere from New York City to out in Texas and Oklahoma City. And I was lucky enough to be able to be interviewed at Lamont Children's Hospital. Um, someone was leaving their radiology department and said there was an opening there. Um, and I got really excited because I, as you become a specialist and you learn what you do and don't like in, as terms of units that you're in, I am an outpatient specialist through and through. Um, so I was really excited to have an outpatient opening in radiology there. Um, so after I finished my fellowship, I just started to apply to, apply to jobs and I wanted to be super open as to where I was going to be able to end up, but also I wanted to find something that I was truly passionate about. And I ended up being very passionate about working in the radiology department. That is great. And you tell me what you, um, you said you're an outpatient specialist through and through. Tell me what you love so much about outpatient. So with child life in a lot of ways, we wear many hats in the hospital. We can provide support for patients during procedures. We can help them understand procedures by uh, giving them education and preparation. Um, Whereas the inpatient side can have that aspect to it, but the inpatient side is a lot more therapeutic play, helping them cope with hospitalization. I love the fast-paced environment. I love being able to go in, quickly assess what a patient might need to help them through this experience. Um, of getting different imaging studies. I love being able to meet a child where they are very quickly, like I said, assess very quickly and provide preparation and support them through that procedure. Um, I just really enjoy the fast-paced environment. Oh, that's great to make that distinction between you know, the pace of it. And then it, it sounds like, yes, you are skilled to be able to connect very quickly with children. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, that's really neat. And then what do you love so much about the radiology piece specifically? So a lot of our jobs in radiology, I have, I have a, um, a fellow coworker, another child life specialist down there because it is so busy. Mm-hmm. So our role in the hospital and in radiology is to help patients cope through their imaging studies. Um, a lot of times we can, with MRIs and with CTs, our goal is to help patients, um, not have to get anesthesia for their scans because obviously with anesthesia um, it's a lot safer if we don't have to get anesthesia. So I like being able to help a patient understand um, their imaging study, help them cope through it. And if we can also help them not get anesthesia, we can save the hospital money. We can also help this child through their study. Yeah. Just lower risk all around and more cost effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Um, okay. So now if you could just, so this is the role that you're in now. If you could just tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about a typical day, there might not be a typical day, but I don't know, maybe a typical week. <laughs> um, and, uh, just share anything that you want to share about daily life working in this current position. Um, yeah, so, so I am an outpatient specialist, like I said, in our radiology department, we serve, both outpatients who come to the hospital solely for these imaging studies and then are able to go home. We also serve patients that are coming from inpatient units down to our radiology department. So we are an outpatient service. 
but we also are able to still build relationships with patients that might be coming down multiple times during their inpatient hospital stay. Oh, okay. Um, my typical day is when I first get there, I work seven to three 30. So I have to be there bright and early in the morning um, because radiology days start pretty early. Okay. I We'll look in the morning at our outpatient schedule. I'll write down all of the names of the inpatients that are planning to be coming down. Um, and then my day is kind of based on the timing of when patients are able to come down. I say in a lot of ways, radiology is just kind of a, a well-oiled machine where we have these patients, who, uh, these nurses who are coordinating when everybody's going to be doing their imaging study or scan. Um, and I just kind of fill in the gaps whenever I can. So there's not necessarily like a typical day, um, whereas every day is similar in that we see the same imaging studies, the same procedures being done, but um, every day can look a little bit different. So the main procedures and studies that I help with in radiology are MRIs, CTs, um, I help patients getting IVs for any of these studies. Um, I also help with VCGs, barium enemas, uh, ultrasounds. Um, so I am just kind of running all over the place. Yeah. I just remember growing up and my brother got an injury and had to get an IV and I saw this and I was just like, I already didn't like needles. So that further traumatized me. And like yeah. my entire life, I was just paranoid that I would one day have to get an IV. Thankfully, I don't think I had to get one until I was pregnant. Um, so I could <laughs> at least talk myself through it. But I still, you know, it was challenging for me then. So I can't even imagine like, you know, trying to attempt to talk a child through that process. And so Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of parents that are absolutely terrified to get IVs and I'm terrified. I hate IVs. So if we as adults are scared, I can, you can only imagine how scared a kid can be. So that's why our job is so important because we can help the child understand what's happening and why it's needed. Um, and if they can understand why it's happening, if we can provide preparation for them that is developmentally appropriate by bringing in the medical materials in a safe fashion, bringing in teaching dolls, um, and also redirecting them back to play, it can help them feel more empowered over their hospital experiences versus scared and unsure of what's happening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Empowerment. That really is the key. Um, yeah. And it seems like that's a relatively recent development in the field of medicine. You know, it used to be just kind of hold the kid down and, you know, now <laughs> thanks to people like you, um, they they're we are able to kind of take the time to help educate and empower the child to have a bit more control yeah family-centered care is so important and even if it's just making patient satisfaction at the hospital better like our job is to make sure that we can help make the hospital as least traumatic as possible for patients and their families yeah um, who all very often in the hospital environment feel kind of this sense of helplessness because they don't know what's happening. They may not fully understand what the doctor's saying and they sometimes don't feel empowered to ask yes. and to ask those questions. So advocating for the patient and family is super important. Mm, those are such great points. So important. Um, yeah, because you don't want anybody, to, a family to be traumatized or hesitant to go to the hospital when they need to go, when they need to seek medical care. You know, some people 
you know, you see conditions worsen because people are hesitant because they've had such negative experiences. So, you know, exactly. to, yeah, prevent that's so important. Um, I guess what is probably, would you say is your most challenging aspect of your current role? And then what's the most current challenging aspect? And then maybe what's your favorite aspect of the current role? I think the most challenging um, are some of the procedures that we have to do. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I mentioned some of the things earlier that listeners may not fully know what it is. We have to do some procedures called like a VCUG, which is where a patient has to get a urinary catheter during the scan, barium enemas, where the patient has to get an enema before they are able to do the imaging study. Um, so as you can imagine, if it's a for example, a five-year-old getting a urinary catheter, that's an extremely traumatic experience in a lot of ways because, I mean, that's a private area. Yeah. And it's very, it's hard for me sometimes to help patients cope through that because I know if I had to get the same procedure done, I would not cope well through it. Yeah. Um, So I think that's probably the hardest aspect of my job is trying to help, um, trying to help patients through traumatic experiences that I know that if I had to do it, it would also be traumatic. Um, I think another really hard aspect is um, we have these families that you come, they come in to get an MRI or a CT scan and you just build rapport with them before they're able to go back. And then, you know, during the scan, because we share doctors with St. Jude, um, we do see a lot of brain tumor patients that will get the news while the patient's waking up from anesthesia that they found something on the scan. And it's just heartbreaking when you have to watch like a family's life basically change. Um, So I think that's a really hard aspect of my job too. Um, But I would say probably the most rewarding is to go into a patient's room. (laughs) They're terrified, they're scared and just being able to provide that support and education piece and watching the child's whole demeanor change when I come in and I bring in play and I sit there and I talk to them and I build rapport with them and help normalize the environment where they almost do a whole 180 and they're able to cope so well through their IV or able to complete a scan without anesthesia and just being able to see these patients who are so terrified when they first get here and being able to come in and just meet them on their level and help them through their experience has just been really rewarding for me. Wow. Those like everyday victories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so to close, I always ask two questions. (laughs) One of them is, is there anything else that you want to share that I didn't ask? Um, and then do you have any advice for students or new professionals who, you know, maybe are considering your field? I don't know if I have anything necessarily else that I need to add. Okay. I cannot think of anything at the moment. <laughs> um, but I guess my advice to students is uh, really be proactive in doing your research. Um, I know as a student at Alabama and with my program director, they were very helpful in setting all the information out clearly for me. Whereas I know at other programs, you're probably a little lost on what 
you need to do to become a specialist. Um, I think being very proactive and um, doing your research is really important to set yourself up for success. Um, get as much volunteer experience as you can, um, whether that be, you know, at child care centers, at summer camps, babysitting. The cool thing about getting that experience is that you can make it your own. There's not this clear cut, well child, one thing that you have to do to get well child hours. Um, so really immerse yourself and try and get a multitude of experiences if you can. Um, that is probably my biggest piece of advice for students. For new professionals, I think my biggest piece of advice is to cut yourself some slack. Um, if you suffer from imposter syndrome, if you suffer from, you know, just trying to feel like you belong in child life, you absolutely do. Every specialist is different. Um, just because you practice one way is not the way Sally down the street's going to practice. Um, you just have to focus on showing up and serving your patients and families and learning along the way. That's great advice. Yeah. Um, really empowering advice at both levels. Um, I just thought of some random question. So are there any, do you, once you're certified as a specialist, do you have to become recertified or do you have to, you know, continue to report to any overseeing body or are you good to go? So we have to do continuing education hours. Um, technically for us, they're called professional development units. So PDUs mm -hmm. um, through the ACLP, which is the Association of Child Life Professionals. They require a certain number of PDUs in order to recertify. You have to recertify every five years. Um, so we do have to do continuing education. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Caroline. This has been so important, so much information packed into um, <laughs> this time with you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on here. Thank you for coming. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Caroline. After I recorded the interview, I realized that I never asked her to share specific examples of some of the play techniques that she uses with children in the hospital. I sent her a follow-up email and she kindly wrote back to me with a detailed response. In her response, Caroline mentions the terms trach and port. Um, since you might not be in the medical field, I wanted to provide some definition for those. I actually went to NIH.gov to provide you with a definition. So trach is short for tracheostomy. A trach is a surgically made hole that goes through the front of your neck into your trachea or windpipe and uses a breathing tube placed through the hole to help you breathe. The other term she mentioned was port. A port is a device used to draw blood and give treatments, including intravenous fluids, blood transfusions, or drugs such as chemotherapy and antibiotics. The port is placed under the skin, and a port may stay in place for many weeks, months, or years, depending on the situation. They don't all stay in that long. Okay, so hopefully that gives you um, a, an overview of those two terms. Now for her response. Hey, Erica, great question. So child life specialists use play in a variety of ways. You can use play to normalize the hospital environment, to create a therapeutic outlet for emotions, to promote development, and to promote understanding on medical experiences slash diagnoses. 
Since I'm in radiology, I use play to help build rapport quickly to allow the patient to see me as someone they can trust and to help them warm to the hospital environment. I use play to promote un understanding for procedures by bringing in a teaching doll, for example, one that has an IV if I am prepping for an IV, and allow patients to safely utilize medical tools and manipulate them in the teaching doll to familiarize themselves with the tools and to allow them to do it through play. Lastly, I also provide play as a way to follow up after a procedure to help the patient process what has happened and help them return to baseline. Other specialists, especially inpatient specialists, can use play as a way to teach patients or their siblings about their diagnoses to help them process and understand. We use teaching dolls for everything, so there may be a teaching doll with a trach to allow a sibling to manipulate and understand why his brother or sister got the trach and have a safe place to manipulate the trach on the teaching doll. We have teaching dolls that have ports where patients can safely manipulate the ports to understand why their port is important for medicine, etc. I hope that provides even more insight into the life of a child life specialist. In the show notes, I will also link to the Association for Child Life Professionals, which she mentioned in the interview. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the HDFS Careers Podcast. If you have recommendations for HDFS or other family science alumni to interview, please reach out to me at hdfscareers.com. Don't worry if they're not working at a job that would normally be considered in the field. I'm interested in hearing a variety of stories, especially if they are working outside of academia. If you like this podcast and want other people to be able to find it, please rate it and review it in iTunes or share it on social media. Until next time, keep exploring your future possibilities.